Happy Rivalry Week, Spartan Nation. It's really hard to believe, but we have reached the final week of the college football regular season. Michigan State taking on Penn State this weekend, but we've also got Michigan versus Ohio State. But in East Lansing, the land-grant trophy is back up for grabs as the Spartans host Penn State at Spartan Stadium. It's a very interesting matchup as the Spartans look to bounce back from a blowout loss to the Buckeyes. We will discuss all that and give a primer for the battle for Atlantis as Tom Izzo's bunch takes the floor in the Bahamas on episode 57 of MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Brandon Champion, Kyle Austin, and Matt Wenzel with you on Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021. Uh, nice work with the Ohio State guys last week, Matt. Uh, can you believe we're already in the final week of the regular season? The season always seems to fly, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, every year it feels like maybe not last year was just too damn weird to figure that out. But um, <laughs> yeah, this year, I mean, yeah, you feel like, geez, I it was just sitting around, uh, you know, a hotel waiting for that midnight or whatever kickoff it was at Northwestern to start the season. And, and you got a big ugly bowling trophy on the line at the last week of the year. So yeah, it's, it has gone by quickly as Connor Hayward noted today. Uh, you know, part of that is because uh, they were having a good season. So it flew by, but yeah, you're here last week of the regular season. Um, obviously not what they wanted to come off last week, but uh, you know, they got a plenty to play for still. Kyle, how's it going? You uh, ready for this uh, early season basketball tournament? We got feast week this week, one of the best weeks of the year. Yeah, um, yeah, really looking forward to it. Uh, might might rather be watching it from uh, from the beach, but uh, we'll 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 make do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I mean, like I like watching Michigan State, but like you like me, like I like being able to turn on the TV at pretty much any time this week and find a good good college basketball game somewhere. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, really, really, really fun week. Um, don't think I'll be watching the Lions uh, tomorrow. I think I'll, or on Thursday. I think it'll be all college basketball this week. Hey, Texas A&M and uh, and uh, uh, Butler just tipped off and then Maui, a.k.a. Vegas right now. So, yeah, point proven. And Kyle, the listeners never would have known. Like you could have been joining us from the beach, like looking out on the waves. You know, this is just audio. So you could have just made them feel bad there. It is sunny in Lansing today, but it does not feel like a NASA. <laughs> um, well, we appreciate everyone for listening. If you could please like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. Check out our work at mlive.com slash Spartans. Hit us up with your questions and comments via email and on Twitter and all the various avenues we have available to you. Um, we very much appreciate you for listening here as we approach the end of football season and uh, dive headfirst into basketball. Um, so let's get to it. We got a lot to talk about today. Um, obviously, you know, quickly guys, a couple days removed now from Michigan state's shellacking at the hands of the Buckeyes in Columbus, 56 to seven, the final score. Um, you know, not much to talk about here from Michigan state's end other than being completely overmatched, but Matt, I mean, I don't remember a game really in recent years. I mean, maybe I was at the 2011 capital one bowl down in, uh, Orlando when they got smacked by Bama. And that was, that was honestly the last time I can remember watching a game and just being like, Literally not one good thing happened. Well, that was kind of what happened when they were Michigan State was in this position last in 17 when they went to Ohio State and, and 48 to three. And it was another game that was over in the first half. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I was talking about sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but I, I guess I was talking about like a team when Michigan State actually, you know, had expectations, I guess, oh, to win. Yeah, OK, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. They got the app, their asses absolutely kicked up and down the field. I mean, it was 
you know, seven straight touchdowns to start the game. They Ohio State was on pace to score 98 points and put up a thousand yards of offense at halftime. And to be honest, they probably could have if they kept their <laughs> That's starters. What I was going to say. I mean, there was no, there was no, I there were must have been in the first half three or four of those touchdowns they scored where I'm sitting there and before the ball comes out of Stroud's hand, I said touchdown because you could see it. It was so obvious. So, yeah, I mean, it was the worst nightmare scenario for Michigan State. You knew going in what their passing attack and those receivers were extremely good or capable of, and you knew where Michigan State was weak, and there, there it was. Everybody to see. <laughs> they gave up 655 yards of total offense, 449 through the air. Um, I mean, you guys were talking about it on your preview with the Ohio State guys last week. I mean, I think we all knew that, you know, Michigan State's secondary. Uh, if they're going to get toasted by Purdue, it might be pretty difficult to contain Ohio State. You know, Chris Olave, 7 for 140 and 2. Garrett Wilson, 7 for 126 and 2. Jackson Smith and Jigma, 10 for 105 and a touchdown. C.J. Stroud throws six touchdowns. Uh, you know, they didn't really even need the run game. So, uh, I mean, Mel was pretty honest about it in the post game. I think, about, you know, the talent gap between Ohio State and Michigan State. But, you know, it's not – this isn't just a Michigan State thing. I mean, Ohio State had – I mean, their, their wide receiver room is running like nine deep, eight, nine deep with five-star receivers. They got them all over the place. I mean, so if we want to talk big picture, I mean, Mel was talking about they're going to close the gap in recruiting. Um, one, were you surprised how open and honest he was about, you know, kind of being like, we don't have enough talent? And two, like, do you think that Michigan State can come anywhere near producing the type of players on the field? And I mean, they're not going to recruit at Ohio State level, but – you know, can they recruit enough to make this a competition? And you could say the same thing about, you know, Penn State and Michigan to a lesser extent. Yeah, to address the first part, no, I wasn't that surprised he said it because he's, I mean, he's, look, everybody knows what the deal is. Like that's, it's the, it's the thing that everybody knows is the case. You just don't, the head coach just isn't saying it. Well, he said it on Saturday and then all the reporters in the room start typing, you know, they're obviously tweeting it. And I'm pretty sure Mel noticed that. And he pointed out like, and this isn't really news, guys, um, <laughs> to anybody who's been paying attention. So it's just the fact that he actually said it. Um, but, no, I mean, you know, he talked about it yesterday. You know, he said the, you know, this is a story that he's told before, you know, that after the second scrimmage of, of fall camp, he said he asked the team if they wanted the good news or the bad news. They said they wanted the bad news. He said, oh, I'm going to give you the good. The good is that I know that with what we've got, we, we got enough guys to compete right now. But bad news, we don't have the depth. And, you know, that was before you're missing playmakers on, on both in all three phases of the game due to injury. So everybody knows they're not at Ohio State's level. Now, can they get there? Sure. You saw Mark D'Antonio do it. I mean, he had more success against Ohio State in this modern era, you know, the the Meyer run, really, um, than, than anybody else. And if he can do it recruiting and development, I think Mel can, too. Now, you're I don't think they're ever going to consistently have higher ranked classes in Ohio State or probably never will in an individual year. But you got to close the gap to where you give yourself a chance, you know, to have enough guys out there and they're just not there yet, but um, possibility certainly there. Kyle, what were your observations from the game? Obviously uh, not good. <laughs> no, um, you know, obviously the talent gap there, it, it didn't need to be that bad. Um, uh, you know, the, Michigan state, I don't know if it was them coming out intimidated, not, not prepared, uh, which is not something we've said about uh, Michigan State uh, under Mel Tucker a lot. They've been very prepared. So um, I don't think Ohio State's that much better than Michigan State. You know, P Purdue played them closer. You know, Nebraska played them to 10 points or so, I think. Um, 
You know, they're obviously better. Um, they're not that much better. So I think it was a combination of, yes, they're more talented, but also Michigan State did not show up to play. I'm not sure if they do show up to play. They beat Ohio State when they're playing that well. But I think um, it did not have to be that bad. Um, but, you know, maybe that's a wake-up call. Um, and I mean, I think they already knew that there was a talent gap, but I think um, maybe that just crystallizes a little bit more, makes it crystal clear just um, just what the challenge is for Michigan State. It, it was a worst case scenario. I mean, the one thing Michigan State could not have happened was to come out and get down by, you know, two, three touchdowns because, you know, you guys were talking about it in your preview, man. I mean, you know, if Michigan State was going to win this game, it was probably going to have to be a case of outscoring Ohio State. And, you know, when you're in a position where you know your corners don't match up with their with their receivers, then you get down, you know, 14, 20 points. You know, that's pretty much it. And those things can snowball, especially especially for college kids, you know, when they know it's stacked against them. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Michigan State did not play their best game. But even if they did, I'm not sure they would have had a chance um, in this particular matchup because of their deficiencies on the back end. Uh, Matt, do you see K-9's Heisman uh, bid pretty much dead after this? I mean, he did nothing. He could maybe still get invited, I think, but he's not winning it no i don't think he's gonna win after this i mean you had the the you could argue probably easily two of the top three heisman candidates were on the same field last weekend one threw for six touchdowns and completed 32 of 35 passes um the other had touched the ball seven times um yeah i mean i think right now he'd still be invited to new york but I, he's on the outside looking in odds wise um you know and it was just it's just a you know what are you going to do situation you know, Ohio State was up 28 to nothing, and he had three carries. At that point, you know, he's playing. He, he rolled his ankle against Maryland, so he's not 100%. We still saw, and like some of these stories I saw after the game, Ohio State shuts down Kenneth Walker. They didn't shut him down. He didn't get the ball. I mean, <laughs> he had six carries. One was for 15 yards. One was for 10 yards. And there was another one, I think, for 10 or 15 that came back on a hold. But, I mean, he could have got – if he got the ball 30 times, uh, it was, you know – even at whatever healthy was, but if he was fully healthy, it's not, you know, he'd win for 150 yards, you know, Ohio state wasn't going to shut him down, but when you're up by a million points, uh, you know, you got to throw the ball. And at that point, you know, I'd said to, to Graham at the LSJ when it was 28, nothing or whatever, is that the only thing they've got to play for at this point is pride and, and Walker's Heisman hopes. But so do you put him out there when he's not healthy just to try and get, keep him in pace or in the race? Um, and if you do that, and he's playing hurt and he gets hurt further, then you're going to take, you know, you're going to bear the brunt of that from the fans from, from doing that in a game that was already over. So there would, you know, is a bad situation to be in. And, and that was the result. And we saw that with, with Jaden Reed getting banged up in a 49 to nothing game. I mean, that actually happened on the field. Yep. Um, and again, you know, they came out after halftime and there was no Reed and no, uh, Henderson. So Reed was wearing a boot on his right foot on the sideline. Henderson just had a sweatshirt on after the game. He said he got a shoulder injury. He doesn't think it's serious, but it was advised not to play in the second half. So, you know, just more guys that are questionable. Um, it's, you know, it couldn't, I don't know, you know, it's about as bad as it could get getting coming out of the game for the most part, you know, it could always be worse, but your, your Heisman candidate is, uh, is dealing with an injury. Your top two ride receivers are now, highly questionable for, for this week. Um, and it's just a completely different offense. Not with that. I, I you know, there's your outside of Peyton Thorne, who obviously, you know, you need, but those are your top three weapons. And there you go. 
that could mean, and I and I know a lot of fans are excited, and we saw it. Maybe maybe the one positive from uh, Saturday was Keon Coleman, the true freshman, the much discussed catches a late touchdown just to get the Spartans on the board. But uh, you think we're going to see more of him against Penn State with those two guys out? Uh, I would assume so. If, if both those guys are out, I mean, you're going to see Trey Moses been a starter all year. Um, you know, more pressure on him. We talked to him today. He, he talked about you know being ready or for the moment or whatever, and and the other guys that are capable. So Montori Foster. Um, obviously he's been featured more with Jalen out, um, Keon, you'll see more of, and then I guess to a lesser degree after that, you, you know, maybe more Christian Fitzpatrick a little bit of, I, I don't know. It's just a tough spot to be in and, you know, the old cliche, the next man up stuff, but I, there's no replicating. There's no I, next man up all you want. There's you can't replace Jalen, uh, Naylor and Jaden Reed, you know, what those guys have, have done this year, their experience and, and their talent and, and their speed and, that's just uh, the way it is, and, and they'll have to rep- find some ways of getting it done and trying to put points on the board. Yeah, and you got Mel Tucker on one hand talking about needing more talent and closing the gap, and then on the other hand, you've got him talking about next man up. So uh, read between the tea leaves there about uh, you know him his his assessment of the total depth on the roster. But I mean, it's year one of his really year one of his full turnaround. So he's you know, obviously going to be needing to get more players in there. And I'm sure he'll be active in the portal and recruiting as always. So, uh, I mean, the other piece of news before we get to Penn State does pertain to Mel Tucker. You know, there's this rumor out there, uh, you know, reporting, you know, from some podcasts and then the free press has a story, you know, basically confirming. It. And I think that's where, you know, nationally people started to run with it um, about Mel Tucker signing this historic monster 10 year deal to keep him in East Lansing, not confirmed uh, by the university or Mel yet. Um, but, uh, seems like there's legs to this and seems like it's going to get done. You know, you had people making jokes, obviously hope Mel Tucker hasn't signed the deal yet, you know, getting blown out by Ohio state. All that's ridiculous in my opinion. Like, th- yeah, it sucks to get blown up by Ohio state, but Michigan state is far from the first team to get blown up by Ohio state. And it has nothing to do with what Mel has accomplished so far at Michigan state. So um, that's just kind of a troll line, but um, I mean, how do you size this up, man? I mean, this is, we've heard the rumors about LSU, you know, Florida's open now, USC, is open. Um, so, you know, obviously those openings and rumors of Mel potentially being a candidate is probably driving this deal to get done. But um, what are, what were your thoughts when you heard that number? It's, it's huge. Well, the number is huge, but you I mean, you knew if they were going to, if they were going to keep them, somebody was going to have to, to come up with the money and, and they have uh, some wealthy alumni who are, who are behind this. Um, I was told it's close. I was told this on Friday, of course. Um, and it's now Tuesday, but um I mean, look, you, you either you either say thanks. We, we you know we look at we we took a guy that was only had one season as a as experience as a head coach, and in two years, one of them a COVID year where they basically you can throw it away. All of a sudden, he becomes the you know a front runner for or you know a guy that's in the mix for LSU, other jobs. You know, I mean, you get you got it's the numbers are ridiculous. You know they're ridiculous. This is college athletics. The agents win every time, um, and but. Whatever. If, if somebody if somebody else is using their private money, their personal funds to to back this, I don't care. Good for Mel if, if that's what he can get. And, and you're going to have to pay up if you think this is the guy. I mean, I don't think we need to rehash the whole Saban thing and how that went down. But it's very obvious that at one point in time, Michigan State did not value its football coach. And he is now the greatest college football coach in history. And this deal at that number would make Mel the second highest paid coach behind only him. So Really interesting stuff. Um, and, and, you know, Mel has, you know, I asked him about it yesterday and he gave me the, I'm just focused on Penn State line, but he has, he did address it 
kind of in Draymond Green's podcast last week, he said when he showed up, he didn't think this was a stepping stone. He believes it's a destination job. He noted his, his Midwest roots and his Big Ten ties and all that. And all that's true. So if they really think this is this is the guy that's going to do it and they want to, you know, pony up the bucks and, and, and show they're really serious about about football, which you're seeing through the don't private money flooding into uh, to fund the, the football facility renovations, then. Well, it's another chance to make a statement and, and they're, they're at that point right now. Yeah. I, um, I, the, the number on its face is crazy. Like nine and a half million dollars for a guy who's in his third season as a head football coach. And his you know, first two did not go very well, but like if you're Michigan state, like it's what you have to do. Um, like you, you're always going to have programs that are more attractive to coaching candidates than you are, you know, just, based on, you know, um, you know, your, your geography, your recruiting, you know, all the competition in your division, you know, what have you, there's always, so you have to make that up to me by over, kind of overpaying the coach. And, and that's what they're doing here. And, and they're in, they're in a fortunate position where they can do it privately. They don't have to um, ruin their athletic department finances to do it and they can get private funding. I, I do. I, first of all, I do wonder, you know, we're talking on Tuesday afternoon. It seems like these things usually get finalized by now. So it's a little curious to me that we haven't seen it officially finalized yet. But, you know, the other thing I wonder, I, I'm going to be very curious when it is, when and if it is, what the buyout numbers are on that for both sides. Because, you know, I'm not, I'm, I think Mel's market probably took a hit over the weekend, but um, I am curious what it would cost another school to pry him away. But I'm also curious, and, you know, maybe I'm the only one thinking this, but 10 years is a long contract. And, you know, if, if you follow college football, you know there have been a couple of guys who have had hot starts, have gotten a huge contract, and schools have lived to uh, live to regret it, uh, whether it's Charlie Weiss uh, getting paid, uh, probably still getting paid by Notre Dame, um, or, or what have you. So, I, I, you know, I hope for Michigan State's sake and for the program's sake, this is not something that's going to hamstring them um, if, if – a change does need to be made. Obviously, everything's looking great for Mel. Um, he's probably the guy. And, and if you're Michigan State, you have to make this move because he's shown that um, he's likely to be the guy. But um, shoot, Dan Mullen went to the SEC championship game last year and got fired the other day. So as we all know, these things these things can change quickly. So when I see 10 years, um, I think part of me makes, me makes me a little nervous for Michigan State just with the length of that, depending on what the buyout is. I think the counter to that is, you know, expectations at Michigan State probably aren't where they are for the top SEC schools. So maybe if Mel has a couple, you know, but, but if you pay a guy nine and a half, I think the expectations have to go up. Not to interrupt you, but like, you know, no, I, I think that's fair. But you can't have unrealistic expectations about the program. Like Michigan State's not suddenly going to vault into one of the top you know, 10 programs in the country, you know, just because they're paying their, just because two donors are rich and want to pay him money. You know, I, I agree it's a risk, but really it's just a risk for those rich guys in the end. I mean, if things don't work out, you reverse course. I think that what Michigan state's looking at is they, they love the, they love the excitement that he's brought back to the program. Uh, you know, he's got everyone energized. He seems to be a great culture guy and that understands Michigan state's culture. And I think the main idea is that or the main thinking is that he's going to up recruiting to a level where maybe you can start thinking about Michigan state as a consistent year in year out contender in the big 10. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big ass. And to be clear, like this is what Michigan state has to do. Like, like if I'm an Allen Haller, like this is the only option to do. I'm just saying, um, 
for everybody celebrating it, you should be, but there, there is also some risk. Um, and yeah, there's a good chance it, it'll be that, but shoot, everybody else has been trying to catch Ohio State for the last forever too. Um, if it was easy to do, somebody would have done it by now. So it, it, it is quite a task to, to close that gap, as we know. For sure, for sure. And it, it, it is it is a little bit staggering when you see those numbers being thrown out for a guy who, you know, quite he's won some big games, but he hasn't won anything, really, when right. it comes to hardware. So uh, it is a risk. Um, I just think, you know, the early returns are so overwhelmingly positive and what he's done with this team, turning it around in a year. Um, you know, you just wonder what that the ceiling could be if he gets if he ups the talent level a little bit. So I think that's what's alluring to the brass at Michigan State. So um, it'll be interesting to track again, not official yet, but, you know, everyone's already talking about it like it's official. So we're going to have to keep tracking it. But let's quickly turn our attention to Penn State. It's obviously a big game for both teams and big for, you know, Michigan State's uh, postseason hopes. You know, the series is 17, 17 and one. James Franklin has Penn State at seven and four. This year, they've beaten Wisconsin, Ball State, Auburn, Villanova, Indiana, Maryland, and Rutgers. They have losses to Iowa, Illinois in nine overtimes, Ohio State, and Michigan. Um, you know, th- this, is a, this is a fun game. It's in its rightful place at the end of the season, the battle for the land-grant trophy. Uh, you know, we got the nice doubleheader with Michigan, Ohio State, then Michigan State, Penn State, the top four teams in the East going at it back-to-back. It's, I think it's great for the conference, great for the league um, when, when these four teams are playing each other on the same day. But, uh, Matt, I mean, this is going to be another challenge for, for Michigan State, especially if they're down weapons on offense because, you know, Penn State has a capable passing offense. Sean Clifford, their quarterback, has been in and out of the lineup, injured. I don't think he played much at all last week. Um, I think he started for senior day, but but then didn't really play. Um, but I mean, the main guy you got to worry about, and it's not good for state fan. Good news for state fans is Jahan Dotson. Uh, he could be the best receiver in the country. Um, he's he's definitely he's very good. I wouldn't say he's the best receiver in the country, but he's he will be one of the. Oh, geez, after the three guys from Ohio State last week, he's in the top five. You know, they saw Stearns from Western Kentucky, David Bell. Uh, you can't forget about him, the three-headed monster at Ohio State, and, and then Jahan Dotson. So, yeah, it's another one of those uh, challenges for the secondary, and you got to figure out something. Um, you know, their strength offensively is is obviously passing the ball, and we know where Michigan State's weakness is. Clifford, uh, yeah, he's had the injury earlier in the year, but I think he, I think um, coming out of the game last week was the, that whole flu going through Penn State's team. They had like 30 guys or whatever come down with flu-like symptoms. Um, so I don't know. I would expect him to be okay Saturday. But, um, yeah, and this is the number four scoring defense in the country, and Michigan State is, again, without its top weapons, apparently, or at least they're all question- – They're most of them are questionable. So, yeah, I don't – I don't think this is a good matchup for them right now, given their health. Um, if they were at full power, I would say, yeah, this – you know, I, I, I'd probably pick them to win this game. Um, they're not – clearly. And, you know, you got to remember for those four losses Penn State have, I mean, by a combined 18 points, you know, they were within nine of Ohio State. So uh, yeah, I think it's a tough, tough spot to be in for them. Yeah. Vegas has it basically as a pick I think the spread is one, um, you know, over under 51 and a half. So, you know, not expecting too much offense here, you know, some, but um, yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm worried about the game. Um, I think Penn State has kind of had an up and down season and underperformed at times throughout the year. But, you know, Clifford's been in and out dealing with it all the time. Um, and they played a, a pretty tough schedule, you know, having Auburn come out and come up to Happy Valley early in the year. They had Wisconsin in the crossover. Um, so, you know, it. I, 
I think Penn State's probably a little bit record better than their seven and four record. But again, you know, the, all the predictors pretty much have this as a pick them. Being at home might help Michigan State, but I mean, if they don't get Kenneth Walker cooking, I mean, we can say this for every single game. I don't think they have a chance if they don't get establish the run and really dictate the pace of the of the game because we saw what happens when you know they get down quick last week. Yeah, I mean, I did these five things to watch in a prediction post every week, and I feel like probably every week this year. Kenneth Walker has been one of the five things and been obvious why, but yeah, you know, I, again, it's hard to overstate the difference he made for them offensively this year. You know, when he actually had a real running game, not just a competent running game, like a real threat in the backfield. And you saw, you know, that obviously helped with the passing attack and Thorne's been better and Reed and Naylor are great, you know, one, two punch, but you know, as, as we've heard from opposing coaches facing them, it all, they think it all, starts with Walker. And if you don't have that threat um, or he's not hundred percent, that changes things. So yeah, I think you, you need a big game from him. Uh, I just don't know where it's going to be tough to come up with the points. Uh, it's just, that's my take. Let's uh, let's talk big picture because you know, whatever happens in the game is going to happen in the game. We've pretty much established this could go either way. Uh, you know, if they win, I think they're in pretty good shape for a, for a new year six bowl at 10 and two. Um, you know, with losses only to, you know, Ohio state and, you know, Purdue, which is an unranked loss, but, you know, I think people have some respect for Purdue's, uh, what they've done this year, but you know, I think they're in good shape, you know, Fiesta and peach bowl are the two that I've heard that are most likely if they're, if they do win, if they lose, I think it's pretty much a lock that they're in. Uh, I think it's a lock they're in Alabama or citrus, but I've heard some people be more pessimistic about that. I don't really know where that's coming from. Um, but I mean, how do you size up their postseason hopes win or lose with this game? Um, well, if based on the number of emails I was getting from somebody representing the, the Peach Bowl, I believe it was, I would say Michigan State's a lock to play in that game. But <laughs> that was last week. So, um, no, I think, yeah, if you win, they've got a very good chance to be in to be in a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, and, you know, who the hell would have thought we would be talking about this, that possibility back in, in August or even September, really. Um, and, yeah, if you, if you lose, yeah, you're going to probably go to the one of those two that you mentioned. So, it's a great spot for them to be in given what the outside expectations were um, going into the season. Um, so yeah, if you can find a way to win and you can get to 10 wins, be first 10 win season since 17, first time reaching 10 wins in the regular season since 15, but um, it'd be quite a, a statement way to, to finish the season undefeated at home. Um, you know, be quite an accomplishment and, and really for that senior class um, and, you know, even some of the like, you know, redshirt juniors or juniors who have been part through so much during their time there, you know, the losing, maybe a little success, a little more, good amount of losing a coach, a crazy coaching change, a COVID year. And to come out at the end like this, um, yeah, plenty to play for on Saturday. And, uh, you know, they've earned this opportunity, obviously. Even the, you know, the Outback Bowl being like worst case scenario is pretty remarkable, yeah. honestly, yeah. Now, considering what we were, I mean, win total of four coming into the year. That's just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, the Outback Bowl followed me on Twitter. I don't know if that means anything either. You know, maybe they're doing a little scouting from uh, from the Michigan State people, but uh, um, they're looking for yeah. someone to be the blooming onion on the sideline. And yeah. Oh, if I get yeah. to be at the game, I'll do it. I'm down. <laughs> I'm, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not above that. Something uh, to throw in there before I forget, because it is notable. Connor Hayward got an invite to the senior bowl that was announced yesterday. Um, and today, you know, he confirmed the obvious that this is his last season at Michigan state. Um, said it was a, you know, he, he didn't know what he was going to do. He got the invitation a few weeks ago, but you know, decided it was an opportunity he couldn't pass up on. 
I think it's really worth noting because, you know, this is fifth year there. All he went through four years at running back, you know, entering the portal, pulling his name back out, you know, you know, a position change in fall camp to tight end H back. And now all of a sudden he's got NFL scouts talking about him. Um, great job by Connor sticking it out and making this, the uh, position change work and earning this opportunity. So good for him. Mm-hmm. I agree. He's been one of the best stories of the year for sure. And how he's sort of uh, shifted over into that tight end role and really filled a need. Cause uh, I don't really know who was going to be playing that position. I mean, we've seen Tyler Hunt makes a place. He might've been the best player on the field for Michigan state on Saturday. Uh, Bryce Berenger. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Him. Oh yeah. Sorry. I, I don't want to disrespect the King Bryce Berenger. That's true. He had a great day. Um, so yeah, bowl, bowl wise. I mean, I'm seeing, you know, Notre Dame thrown out there. I'm seeing, you know, Cincinnati thrown out there. I still think it's stupid that Michigan's going to get a Rose Bowl bid over them if they both uh, if they both finish ten and two. But whatever, we don't need to get into that, and we have time to get into that. Um, but anything else on, on football before we shift to basketball here? Um, well, Mel Tucker likes uh, sweet potato pie. Um, <laughs> Peyton Thorne's looking forward to the uh, dinner at Jay Johnson's house. Um, thinks he's a good. Him and his wife uh, obviously must be good cooks. So. Uh, yeah, I think that covers the uh, Thanksgiving stuff. We didn't have Jim Bowman here talking about pumpkin pie like uh, Kyle experienced back in the day, I think. So, um, yeah, I think that kind of covers the week. Some guys are going to get to go home. Um, like Drew Beasley talked about it today. Other guys are going to, you know, go teammates or, or go to coach's house to enjoy the day. Cool. Yeah. Thanksgiving coming up too. Obviously we're, uh, I'm looking forward to the grub as well. Um, but you know, uh, the basketball team, Kyle, they're going to be down in the Bahamas for the Thanksgiving weekend. The battle for Atlantis, uh, quickly has become my favorite of the preseason. Uh, well, it's not really preseason, but you know, pre-conference season basketball tournaments, you know, they play in the ballroom down there in, in Nassau. Um, you know, I, I think it's past Maui as the best preseason tournament. I don't know how you feel about that, but um, a fun field down in the Bahamas for Michigan State. Yeah, uh, six of eight are Ken Palm top 50, which um, I haven't looked around. I I don't think there's a tournament better than that as far as depth. Um, you know, you got the higher end ones at some, but um, really, I mean, there's no easy outs um, in this tournament um, at all. Um, and, you know, some good teams are going to go 0-3. Um, and you're going to hope it's not Michigan state, but I mean, usually your first, your first game of these, it's, um, it's somebody pretty manageable, um, in, in most years, but you open right up with Loyola, um, which brings everybody back, almost everybody except Cameron Crutwig back from a sweet 16 team. I think they have four super seniors. So they got a lot of these fifth year guys back. Um, uh, and you know, they haven't really played anybody yet, so it's hard to really say, um, how they look this year, they're four and zero against, um, sub 200 teams, but shooting the living daylights out of the ball, uh, 45.2% from three point range, um, which I don't care who you're playing. That's, that's pretty darn good. Um, and have the best effective field goal percentage in the country. So, uh, a team that can really shoot the ball, Michigan state has played defense well this year. So, um, you know, whether they get out on those shooters, um, and, and can slow them down a little bit and, um, you know, whether Michigan state, um, can kind of keep it rolling. I, you know, they've won their last three, 20 points apiece each. They've looked really impressive. I, I guess I go into this week wondering if that's fool's gold at all. Cause um, I don't think Western's very good. Eastern I thought was a little better, but still a lower level team. 
Butler, everybody got excited about, but uh, they got trucked by Houston uh, yesterday on Monday, I guess. Um, I, I think at the end of the year, that might not look that 20 point win might not look too impressive. So I'm, I'm curious um, how meaningful the last two games have been for Michigan state. And I think we'll find out uh, over the next few days here. Butler losing eight to five to Texas A&M as we speak. Uh, but you know, Loyola, um, yeah, no one good. Coppin state, Florida Gulf coast, Chicago state, UI, uh, Illinois, Chicago. So yeah, really the first big test for them will be this tournament. Um, you know, some things I've noticed, you know, they're seventh in points per game at 91, uh, assists per game, 22.3. That's tied for third in the country. That's usually something Michigan state prides itself on rebounding 39.3, 106. Sixth in the country, so maybe Michigan State size can uh, do something there and, and give them an advantage. Marcus Bingham coming off his best game as a Spartan, of course. Um, you know he's really seems to be coming into his own, so maybe they can utilize him. I would think Michigan State as as the major you know program going against a mid major, albeit a very good one, would want to establish its size advantage in the game. Um, but you know Loyola's got a lot of good players, and obviously they're led by Drew Valentine, who's a guy who's very familiar with Tom Izzo and his program. Yeah. And coaches, Tom Izzo, like every coach hates facing his former assistants because you know, when you like them and then you, you know, usually you have to beat them um, or somebody has to lose. Um, but then beyond that, I mean, they just know your program well and, and they're, you know, they're better preparing for you. And Drew, you know, they faced Stan Heath on Sunday. Um, and that was, I know Tom didn't like that. I mean, Drew was a two year GA, so I'm not sure that's quite as true, but um yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a fun, I mean, if you're into the kind of off-court angles, I mean, um, Drew, obviously Denzel's younger, older brother, um, son of Carlton Valentine, who played in the program, brother of somebody who played in the program, coached in the program for two years, grew up in Lansing, you know, like he was a kid who went and sat in the bleachers and begged kids for autographs after the games uh, when he was a little kid. And now here he is coaching against uh, Michigan state. So I uh, had a chance to, uh, to talk to him on a zoom this morning and he, he's pretty psyched about that. Um, but you know, it's not, <laughs> there's a lot more to it than that. Cause Loyola is going to be, um, I think Loyola is going to be a dangerous team for them. Um, you know, you really got to get out on their three point shooters. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, I think Michigan takes advantage here. They've been very good rebounding the ball. Um, including against Kansas, which, which they won the rebounding battle there. They do have some size, but um, Loyola's one loss was their big man, Crutwig. So they're not huge. They're not as experienced in the front court. And as you said, Marcus Bingham has been playing pretty well. So I think that's kind of the advantage for Michigan State. Um, so you use that. and But, boy, you got to start hitting some shots, too, if you're Michigan State. Uh, you know, they're, they're getting by shooting like 28% from three. That's not going to work forever. Um, and, you know, they feel like that number is going to go up. But, you know, it's four, four regular season games in, two exhibition games. That's my biggest worry with this team now is that the, the shooting is not really showing any signs of coming around. And this is Michigan State's first appearance in the tournament since 2016. Uh, they went two and one. They beat St. John's. I think that was the game when Tum Tum went like turned into Cassius Winston for a second there, like yeah, dunked over somebody. Yeah, that was amazing. Uh, that was a fun story. They lost to Baylor and then beat Wichita in the third state or the third place game. Um, but you know, I really like this tournament. You know, you look at the other teams in the field. If they win, they're looking at Auburn or UConn, both of which are ranked. Um, and then on the other side, you have you know Syracuse, Baylor, VC or Syracuse in BCU and then Baylor and Arizona State so you know if you line it up here Kyle you know you can get the you know the 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 Valentine battle in the first one per, potentially a 
um, you know, an, a, a rematch with UConn, maybe like a little revenge tour here. You know, you get revenge on UConn for 2014 Elite Eight. Then you go to the final, maybe Syracuse. Your Syracuse upsets a couple people. Get some revenge for, the, you know, the, the, the Jaron Jackson, Miles Bridges group going down. You know, perhaps a little revenge tour for the Spartans here that, in the that, Bahamas that had, if things that, break right. That had not occurred to me at all. Um, <laughs> although they play, they play UConn in the 18 tournament in that PK-80. Stomped them, as I remember. I think Cash scored yeah. like 20 in the second half or something of that. Oh, game. they rolled through that tournament. Um, that was, yeah, that was, they did. That was, that team was, well, we don't need to get into how that, that ended, but that team, yeah. Um, 17, 18, <laughs> I should say. Um, a, a little, one other note, a little, maybe a little wonky, but. If you talk to people who make schedules, you know, you, you, Kevin Pauga, they will say that the first game of your in-season tournament is the most important game you play all year because it determines who you play next, and it has a big difference on your strength of schedule. Um, it's the only game, um, and the second game to a lesser extent. But um, if um, Michigan State, and I don't think they will be, but if they are, you know, on an NCAA tournament bubble or seeding or whatnot, um, I have a feeling Connecticut's going to beat Auburn. Um, and I, Connecticut seems pretty good. Um, so you want to beat Loyola so you get the tougher game. And whether you beat it or not, you want the better strength of schedule. Um, and you don't want to you don't want to lose a couple of these and, and not. I mean, there's good teams here. You're going to have some good games, but you want the best teams you can have. And if you can, you know, however they do it, you know, if they can get out of here playing Loyola, UConn and Baylor, you know, that's going to help them a lot. Not, not only in their. Um, in their NCAA tournament resume, but just for this team, I mean, if they can play good teams like that, I think that's going to help them a lot. Um, so um, a little bit more maybe on the line against Florida, just in that respect. Especially because, you know, their Big Ten ACC challenge opponent, Louisville, I mean, looks yeah. middling at best. They, so, lose to, you know, lost to, they lost to some of that. I don't remember, but it wasn't good. It wasn't a good, a lot of the, the ACC, much like the big 10 early in the season has suffered some surprising losses to uh, it's mid to upper tier oh, team. So Furman, they lost uh, at home to Furman. Oh, Furman. Well, good program, but you know, you shouldn't be losing to Furman. No. Let's just say that. So I agree. I mean, and Tom puts a lot, I mean, he obviously loves these. They always have an early season MTE. I mean, he obviously views these as very important. Right. Yeah. And I mean, not everybody does, but I mean, he likes it because, um, uh, you know, it kind of gets you ready for NCAA tournament prep. Um, it's even more than that because you're playing three and three uh, NCAA tournament. You always have a day off. But um, and, you know, you look at some of the um, I mean, obviously, you got freshman Max Christie and Jaden Akins playing big roles um, and some some um, younger guys too. Um, just get them used to like finishing a game saying, OK, uh, that's how we play defense in this game. Throw that all out. This is how we're doing it for the next game. You got, you know less than 24 hours to learn all this and get ready and prepare for it. Like that's difficult to do. Um, so for a guy like Max Christie to, um, to learn how to do that and get a little, get a few reps in doing those quick turnarounds, uh, quick scouting report reviews, quick walk through and, and go and go do it. Um, that's valuable. And that's why I think you see them always kind of leaning towards playing in these tournaments. So um, kind of an eye down the road. And then, you know, different, different styles too. You know, they end up playing Syracuse. You've got a good, well, actually Syracuse can't play defense this year, but they will play a two, three zone. Did you, they lost, they, they gave up a hundred to Colgate. I'm sorry. I know I always bring up Syracuse, but they gave up a hundred to Colgate (laughs) at home the other day. So I don't know if the the zone is very good this year, but you can, the point is you can play different styles, different teams, um, different personnel and um, do it all in a short span of time. And, um, I, I'd be surprised if they go three and zero, but I think they'll come back. Uh, we'll know more about them, and I think Michigan State will be better for the experience. 
they go three and zero, you're going to suddenly have people talking about them as the second best team in the Big Ten. So I mean, that that would be interesting. But uh, you know, for a team that's kind of been off the radar, I think it could be encouraging for for them. You know, if you look at the Big Ten struggles early on in the year here, to say, hey, maybe we're not as far back as we think we are. I know you and me both thought they were you know, better than maybe nationally people thought, but yeah, I think it's still up in the air right now because we haven't really seen them play anyone. No, I, I thought that, I mean, it's, it's still early, but like, I didn't see, like, I thought the, the top four in the big 10 were going to be like the top four, but like you know, Michigan didn't look that good. Illinois didn't look that good. Ohio, Ohio State, State. They, they beat up Seton Hall, but they've been shaky. Um, Purdue's the only team that looks as good as or better than we thought. So yeah, and maybe. Iowa, but they've played no one. So I uh, yeah, they, they they don't count. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, who knows? It's early, but but like Maryland, yeah. Maryland's been really shaky too. They were kind of up there. So um, yeah. it, it's it's interesting. I definitely feel a lot different about the Big Ten than I did a couple weeks ago. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, Matt, you gonna tune into the hoops this weekend? Uh, I don't remember if I have uh, plans <laughs> to do that. Um, it's better than hanging out with your family so yeah yeah feast week baby feast week come on just dive in just dive in all right we got to get out of here uh busy week coming up obviously kyle will be out all over all the basketball uh i'll be sharing some thoughts on twitter per usual and then we got the football game on saturday uh the land grant trophy the ugliest trophy in all of sports up for grabs once again um and i as i also need you guys to figure out that if they do play notre dame in the bowl game does the megaphone come into play here or are we just gonna be playing for a bowl game trophy here i, I, I need that I, question answered i think i would rather not answer, ask a question about a potential bowl opponent when it's uh, still not even the, no, the no, season is not even over yet. If it happens, I, I would bet. I would bet the answer would be no, and that would be reserved for um, you, know, you know a regular season matchup that would be like Michigan and Michigan State playing again somehow, and, and, and you know the Paul Bunyan Trophy switching hands twice in a year. I don't think that would happen either. So. Um, no, I mean, if they get stuck with that ugly piece of hardware, they own it for a year and, and that'll give them three of them building and, um, you know, the megaphone will have to wait uh, if they do actually for whenever they play Notre Dame again. And I would not put much money on that being this year. Yeah, it's a ways down the road. I think they have one scheduled, but it's a ways away. So there is nothing um, official on the schedule with Notre Dame. Really? I thought I saw that they, they had something out there on. Uh... There was. There was like this room. I don't even think we need to get into it too much, but no, uh, there was like talk and I can't even remember. It was like 17 was before, you know, when D'Antonio was his pregame presser, pre that presser that week. And someone was asked about the, this being the potential last game against him coaching against Notre Dame. He's like, Oh, when's that other game scheduled? And he thought it was soon. And it's, it was like 2025 or something, but there's nothing official on the books. Hmm. No. All right. Well, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But uh, let's get out of here. Uh, that's going to do it. We'll be all over the games, as I said. If you could please like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. Check out our work on MLive.com slash Spartans. Hit us up. You know where to find us. We appreciate everyone for listening. I hope everyone enjoys the hoops, enjoys the football, and has a wonderful Thanksgiving. So for Kyle Austin and Matt Wenzel, I'm Brandon Champion. Thank you once again for listening to MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. And go Greek.